Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. We have a responsibility for the world. We don't like to think that. We like to think, no, I got to take care of myself and let the world take care of it. No. He says in Matthew 5.13, a verse we've already covered, Matthew 5.13 and 14, ye are the salt of the earth. And then he says in Matthew, the next verse, 5.14, ye are the light of the world. A city that is hid on a hill cannot be, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So he says to us, we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. This is the earth, this is the world he's talking about. And we want to say, no, we're the salt for our own lives. We're just going to keep our own lives in order. And God says, no, you're the salt of the earth. And we have a tendency to say, no, we're just going to be a light for ourselves. And God says, no, you're the light of the world. So we have a responsibility for the earth and for the world and is to be faithful ambassadors. As a matter of fact, the rest of that verse that I quoted earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.20, 2 Corinthians 5.20 is, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So we not only have a responsibility as ambassadors to report back to the home office in heaven about earth and ask for the needs to be provided for, as ambassadors, we also have the responsibility to beg, to plead, to persuade lost people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can be reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you, beg you, by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. But to hallow, hallow thy name, to hallow the name of God, it starts with us. It starts with us. It's what Peter was saying here in 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15 says, sanctify the Lord in your hearts, in your hearts. Now when he said that, that wasn't a foreign idea, it was a new idea. Isaiah said, Isaiah 8, 13, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your dread and let him be your, your fear and be your dread and he shall be for a sanctuary. So what Isaiah told us there is the two practical ways that we sanctify the Lord in our hearts. The first one is let him be your fear. Let him be your fear. It means that we are no longer afraid of what man can do to us, or let me put it this way. We're more afraid of what God can do to us than what we are of what man can do to us. That's how you sanctify the Lord in the heart. It's the fear of the Lord, to be more afraid of what God could do than what man can do. That's the first practical way. Hallowed be thy name. Second is the next part. Isaiah 8.14, Isaiah 8.14, where you sanctify the Lord and he shall be for a sanctuary. He shall be for a sanctuary. It means that hallowed be thy name 
means that we sanctify the Lord when we run to him for protection. We run to him for shielding and we flee to him. We, we pray to him. We trust that he's going to protect us. That's sanctifying the Lord. That's be, making God's name hallowed. Next, he says in verse 10, thy kingdom come. So here he's leading us to want the kingdom of God. He's leading us to cut the ties with this world. He's leading us to, it was a pretty nice land when they left Sinai as they were getting on the Egypt side of Jordan. It was nice land there. In fact, a couple of the tribes actually wanted to stay there. But God, it's called them crossover, crossover. So he's leading us to not stay on the Egypt side of Jordan here on earth, but he's leading us to want to cross over Jordan to God's land and to see this side of the Jordan, it's another, the Egypt side of Jordan, this side of Jordan, the world we live in, as not ours, not ours, not us, it's not, not for us. He wants us to follow him when he says, John 8, 23, John 8, 23, I am not of this world. He said, I am not of this world. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, it's really getting in line and following him to say, well, he's not of this world, we are not of this world which is what he said when he prayed in John 17, 16, John 17, 16, when he described us and he said, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. So to pray the intent of thy kingdom come is leading us to really follow the words of the hymn that says, take the world but give me Jesus. All his joys are but a name but his love abides forever. So by praying thy kingdom come, he's wanting us to don't be a friend of the world. Break your friendship with the world. Because James 4.4 says, James 4.4 says, friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So by praying thy kingdom come, he wants us, don't be a friend of the world. Don't be a friend of the world. To pray thy kingdom come is really to pray a prayer to God of get me out of this place. That's what it means. Now, then in verse 11, of 10 rather, verse 10 he says, thy will be done in heaven as it is on earth. That's really a denial of our will, just like he prayed in Luke 22:42. Luke 22:42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Okay, now he comes to the next desire that we should have, and that's in verse 11, when he says that we should have a desire that's along the lines of, give us this day our daily bread. By the way, uh, he doesn't say, give me this day my daily bread. He said, give us, which it teaches us that we should think of others also when we're praying. It's not all about us. We should think of others in their need. Now he says, Give us this day, not tomorrow, just this day, because it's all about this day. And this day, the mentality of this day mentality is very important because it's like the manna. The manna was a daily event. It was a daily dependence on God. So we only ask for today, not for tomorrow, because really, when you think about those people in the manna, in the wilderness eating the manna, they were really living hand to mouth. And that's the way he wants us to see ourselves, living hand to mouth. This is all about how we view ourselves. I mean, when we ask for daily bread, give us this, our daily bread, we're asking for what most people already have. So, and they didn't ask for it, but they have it. So 
the world that doesn't care about God, they have daily bread. We who care, we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're asking for what they already have. Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Because he wants to see in us a life developed. It's all about developing a life. No, they don't care about developing a life. But he wants us to develop a life of asking and thanking God. Asking God and thanking God. This is a development. This doesn't come naturally, but he wants us to develop this. But develop this. Now, these people, they have their daily bread. They're not asking for it. They're not thanking God for it. They just have it. Okay, fine. But he says, not you. You ask, and when you receive, you give thanks. Because that's the life of the Christian that has to be developed. Now, again, takes us back to the manna. It's very interesting, the manna in Exodus 16.4, Exodus 16.4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So, you know, you you can imagine that scene, you know, people coming to Moses and saying, Moses, you know, in case you haven't noticed, we're millions of people, what are we gonna eat here? There's no delicatessens out here, so what are we gonna eat? And then Moses, he doesn't know, so he turns to the Lord and says, well, what are they gonna eat? And Moses comes back to the people with this report in Exodus 16.5, well, Exodus 16.4, rather, 16.4, and he says, well, the Lord said, behold, I'll rain bread from heaven for you, <laughs> and you gotta go out every day and gather a certain rate. You get imagine the people, you know, when Moses said that, said, what did he just say? God's gonna rain bread from heaven every day? There's some kind of a giant bakery up there? And it's gonna bake all this bread, it's gonna throw it out so we have fall from the sky? You mean just the right amount is also gonna fall every day? And we gotta go out every day and gather that? You know, imagine one person, you know, maybe he can't sleep at night, he's worried, you know. His wife comes to him and says, Ralph, why can't you sleep, you know? And he says, I can't stop worrying about tomorrow whether the bread's gonna be there or not. You know? It won't be enough. But every day for 40 years that happened. That's, there wasn't one day when it failed to fall. And there was just the right amount, not too much, not too little, the right amount. Some people gathered up a lot more and the others didn't gather very much and they shared. You know, They said, okay, but it was all the right amount. That's a picture for us of our daily dependence on God for the manna. All behind this give us day, our daily bread. Now about the manna, the Lord said in John 6, 48, John 6, 48, he said, I am that bread of life. He said, your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness or dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I'll give of my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. So he calls himself, he says, I am the bread of life. He says, I'm the bread like the manna that came down. So in essence, when we pray for give us this day our daily bread, don't just think of bread, literally, but think of him, a prayer for his presence. It's really the prayer of every day we need you. Every day, we cannot go without you. So that's the same prayer that Moses prayed when he said to the Lord in Exodus 33, 14, Exodus 33, 14, he said, and he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I'll give you the rest. And he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. 
Wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. So God tells Moses, I'm going with you. And Moses says to God, if you don't go with us, we can't go. We can't do it alone. You know, it's kind of like, kind of like the Righteous Brothers songs, but it's not about a girl. But you know, we could pray the words of the Righteous Brothers song, you are my soul and my heart's inspiration. You're all I got to get me by. You're my soul and my heart's inspiration. Without you, what good am I? That's our prayer. That's encompassed in give us this day our daily bread. Every day, every day we need Jesus, every day. My need I now confess, every day along life's way. Yes, I need Jesus. Okay, now verse 12, he says, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Now, he's talking about forgiveness here. Forgive us our debts. And he's going on to speak about those who have transgressed against us that we need to forgive. So he's really talking about a sin, an iniquity, a transgression, a violation of God's law, an offense of God. That's what he's talking about. But he doesn't use those words. Instead, he says, forgive us our debts. So what's he doing here? By saying debts, he is leading us, he's teaching us to see that sin is a debt. Sin is a debt. And then he says, forgive us. And so by the give part, forgiveness, because that's the word given it, it's a free gift. It's not earned. He's teaching us to see that forgiveness is free. It's not, there's no works involved there. It's just a gift that he gives. And then he goes on to say, forgive us our debts as we forgive others, as we forgive others. So he's teaching us to see the strong link, the strong connection between being forgiven and being forgiving. Then when we see this, then we come to understand this whole parable that he, that he speaks later on about this certain king who has a, takes an account and he begins to see that there's this person who owes him a tremendous amount of money and he calls the person in, he says, okay, pay it back and the person says, I can't pay it. And so he says, okay, then into prison you go but the person begs and pleads with them, and the king says, okay, I forgive that. And then somebody else comes to that person who is forgiven, who owes him much, much less. And the person says to him, give me that, you owe me. And he says, no, and he casts him into prison. And then the king hears about it, and he says, oh, you wicked servant you, and he casts him into prison, he's saying, and then he finishes up this whole history here, which by the way is in Matthew 18. It's in Matthew 18, he finishes it up in verse 35, and he says, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespass. That's a very strong warning. We forgive others, he said God will forgive us. He says, I'm not saying it's what he says, if we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us, that's what he says. And it's a very important thing to forgive others because for one thing, for one thing, when we forgive others, it actually does a work in us, it gives us a courage to ask God for forgiveness because if we don't forgive others, then we say, well, then how can God forgive me? But when we do that, it encourages us. And also, when we forgive others, we are really being an evidence to the world, like a demonstration to the world that there is forgiveness with God. If a Christian doesn't forgive 
another person. The world looks at that and says, <laughs> you know, he talks about forgiveness of God, so he's the expert on forgiveness of God. He's not willing to forgive. There must be no forgiveness with God. But when we do forgive others, and the world sees that, they say, well, there must be forgiveness for God for me can be found. Then he goes on in verse 13 and he prays, lead us not into temptation. Now, this is very difficult, lead us not into temptation, because it makes it sound like God is tempting us. But that's not what the Bible says in James 1.14. James 1.14, it describes temptation as when we face our own lusts. In James 1.14, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed. And lusts don't come from God. Lusts come from our sinful past. And that means that that's from us. So that's why in James 1.13, James 1.13 he said, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So God does not tempt, but he does lead into temptation. Why? To get the victory over sin, to get the victory over temptation. You never know if you really can overcome that until you have overcome that. And this was the whole idea between Matthew 4.1, Matthew 4.1, when it says, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but he's saying, pray along these lines that God doesn't lead you into temptation. You say, why? Because we should have a fear. We should have a fear of becoming defiled. We should have a fear of falling away from God, we should because that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. This was Peter's great fall in Matthew 26, 35. Before his fall, Matthew 26, 35, it says, Peter said unto them, though all should die with thee, that all should deny thee, I will not deny thee. So he's leading us now to pray that we don't get led into temptation, and then he's leading us to if we do fall, to pray for deliverance, he says, but deliver us. He says, deliver us from evil. He said, what is the evil? Well, deliver us from the evil of ourselves, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. Deliver us from the evil of our own hearts. Deliver us from what we just saw, the evil that's in the world through lust. Deliver us from the evil one, the devil. Deliver us from evil men. Death itself is evil. Deliver us from the evil of death. Then he finishes up this instructive prayer in verse 13 by saying, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. This is very similar to the prayer that King David prayed in regard to the temple in 1 Chronicles 29.11. 1 Chronicles 29.11, when David says, thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted, head above all. Very similar. So the words really here, and this is how David ended his prayer, this is how the Lord ended the model prayer, is really showing kind of a reason why are you praying all these things? What is the basis for you asking all these things? And the answer is because he has the eternal kingdom because he has the power for eternity, because he has the glory for eternity. And so, by doing this, he's really emphasizing that when it comes to needs, God is the ultimate one-stop shopping. You just go to him. 
And this prayer then ends with this word, amen, amen. Now, amen, a lot of meanings of amen, but one of the meanings could be certainly, certainly, or I always like the way Pastor Jim, Pastor Jim always responded to a person, is there really a heaven and hell? Somebody would say something like that, you know? And Pastor Jim always had the same response. He said, no doubt about it. He <laughs> always like that, no doubt about it. So you can look at this amen at the end of the prayer and just say, that means no doubt about it. <laughs> and that's a statement that affirms that God is able, and it's a statement of confidence that God is able to do all these things. Okay. And then in verse 14, he makes, he makes a comment. He makes one comment on the past instructive prayer. He doesn't cover all the subjects again. He doesn't comment, I should say. He doesn't comment on any of the subjects except for one subject, and that's in verse 14. Forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forget not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, it's, it's really something to think about it. <laughs> Of all the parts of that prayer, why does he choose this one part about forgiveness? Because it shows us that being forgiven and being forgiving is at the top of his list. It's the top of his list of the leading ideas in this model prayer. And that's the reason why he's chosen this, because it's the greatest obstacle to a person from getting through to God in prayer. It's like saying bitterness closes off the communication with God. You know, refusal to forgive, it cuts off the line of communication with God. And that cost makes holding a grudge just not worth it. A blocking of a relationship with God is too great a price for not forgiving another person. And so that's why, in essence, what the Lord is saying in these last words is, let it go, give it up. Give up the grudge. Forgive the person who's wronged you. Stop waiting for that person to come and apologize to you because that's not gonna happen. And then you'll completely forgive now and don't throw the barb by saying, you know, I forgive you for being the dirty, rotten cheat that you are. You know, <laughs> Just forgive. And someone might say, oh, I don't know anyone that I need to forgive. I can't think of anyone I need to forgive. Right? Someone might say that. And well, the Lord has a very good way to remind us and to make us know who we need to forgive. And it's a certain activity that we do, and God says, I'll make you remember when you do that. And that's given to us in Mark eleven twenty five. Mark eleven twenty five. Mark eleven twenty five says, when you stand praying, forgive. For if you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And then, uh, as we have already covered, in Matthew 5.23, Matthew 5.23, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. So that's interesting. When we approach God, prayer or giving, prayer or giving, and all of a sudden we remember, it comes to our mind, we got a grudge, we need to forgive somebody. That's not by accident. That's what he says in Mark 11:25. when you stand praying, in Matthew 5, 23, bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest, there to rememberest. How does that work? How does that work? It's very simple. When we come to God, that's the time when God says something to us like, isn't there some unfinished business you need to take care of? 
Isn't there some person that you need to get right with, get reconciled with before you come to me? So God is very faithful in this. And that's the time for us to say, oh yeah, Lord, I'll be right back. So very important. So there we have the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for taking the time to lay out all these things for us, Lord, to guide us, to give us the direction that we so much need in our lives in prayer, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 